Let's, uh, let's give it up for our incredible uh, song leaders who have been leading us in worship this morning. I've been helping our hearts connect with God all morning. A fantastic job. Uh, it was great to see Dylan up here leading his first song. Great to see Will up here leading his first song. It's so awesome to have new people stepping up and raising up into different roles and responsibilities. Uh, I do want to say uh, thank you uh, also to uh, both Shema and Valentina. What an incredible job they did. And uh, Shema just has such a heart to preach. And uh, it's so cool to see him up here and, and sharing his story uh, with us. And I had actually forgotten some of the things he shared about our conversations we had together. Uh, but it's amazing how God is really taking, where's Shema? There he is. Uh, it's amazing how God has really taken you from Montreal to Toronto, and, and you've, you've combined your, your heart for God with the truth and the knowledge of the scriptures. And it's awesome to see you flourishing here in Toronto. Amen, my brother. Uh, thank you so much, Valentina. Where's Valentina at? In her, in her gentle tone. I mean, she preached fire. That was fire right there. That when you choose to... Uh, hold on to your money, you're, you're really saying that your money gives you things rather than God providing for you and God giving you things. Woo, I don't think I've ever heard that in all my years of a Christian, as a Christian. That was deep. And uh, obviously it's very clear why you have such deep convictions on giving to the Lord and, and really administering uh, to him through your own personal finances. You know, the, the inspiration for my, my lesson this morning uh, comes from Hollywood. <laughs> you know, uh, last, uh, or, or the week before last week, uh, I, I had the opportunity with Kirk and, and just Lane to do something that I found was very special. I, I got to go with them and watch a Top Gun Part 2. And the movie title is Top Gun Maverick. Now, I know that a lot of us are not American. In fact, very few of us are American. But this is, this is like a, an American classic. This is a nostalgic movie for me, even though it was produced and, and actually came out in 19, well, 1986. I was only three years old when it came out. I watched the first Top Gun movie at least 50 times and uh, loved, loved the movie. And uh, I wanted to, to use that as our inspiration for our lesson here this morning. Turn to Hosea chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9. You know, uh, Top Gun is about a pilot school, and it's, uh, it's, it's sponsored and put on by the U.S. Navy, and the idea of the school is that you take the best of the best pilots, and you put them together, and you really try to drill them to determine who is the best of the best of the best. And in the movie, there's, a, there's one character who's played by Tom Cruise, who's, whose call sign, which is their pilot nickname, his call sign is Maverick. And I was curious to what the word maverick uh, meant. And the word maverick literally just means a lone dissenter or, or someone who takes an individual, a personal stand among those that are around them. It can be defined as an orthodox, unconventional, or a nonconformist. And I thought about maverick's nickname. And in the movie, that's exactly who he is. He's always pushing the boundaries, pushing the limitations, breaking all the rules, standing up against those that are surrounding him. But in a way, that's also who we're supposed to be as Christians. In Hosea chapter 9 and verse 7, the Bible starts off a little rocky here. It says that the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Shema talked about that. He says you don't want to stand too close to the fire, you're going to get burned. Right? We've, got to, we've got to recognize the consequences of our sin. But then the Bible says, let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many, because society is so messed up, and your hostility is so great. The prophet is considered a fool. The inspired person, a maniac. In other words, society is so corrupt. It's so messed up. It's so anti-God, anti-religion, anti-truth. That anyone who stands up for the Lord, anyone who stands up and chooses to be a disciple, is considered by those people, that very same society, a maniac. Or dare we say, a maverick. And so the title of our lesson this morning is Becoming a Maverick. Becoming a Maverick. 
And if you've ever watched Top Gun 1 or even Top Gun 2, you know that there are several iconic songs that are all throughout the movie. And so my four points this morning are based on our icon- are those four iconic songs. So Nero hit the first one. Come on, Nero. Y'all know it. It just softens the heart right away, just through the beat. Brothers, don't think about your interests right now. Sisters, don't think about your interests. Think about the Lord. Don't you love it? Where's the phones at? Here we go. With my breath away. That's good. Our first point this morning is take my breath away. Take my breath away. And uh, this song was sung by Berlin. That's the band name. That's not the country, the, the, the band name. And uh, it's, it's played throughout this movie. And in particular, it's played uh, really during the time where, where Maverick starts to fall in love with this woman. And it's quite a funny story because in the beginning of the movie, he starts hitting on this woman at a bar, which is not a disciple thing to do, amen. But then later, after trying to pick her up and she rejects him, he goes to the first day of his Top Gun training school. And turns out that the woman that he was hitting on is one of the instructors for the class. And so during the, the movie, they, they start to have this, this sort of love for each other, this affection for each other. But because she's the instructor, instructor and he's the student, their, their love is complicated. And so the idea of the song right here is that you can get to a point where you're so taken aback. Your breath is so taken away because you're so in love, so infatuated, that it doesn't matter how complicated things are, you're just in love. You with me on that? I think in some ways, this is how people can be in their relationship with God. You ever study the Bible, something like that? Oh, I really want to be a Christian. I really want to follow God. I really want to do it. But you don't understand, it's complicated. Right? Things are too hard. Or my situation is too challenging. I don't know if I could give up A or give up B or give up C. There's just too much going on in my life for me to really follow God. And yet, when you're really just in love with God, when your breath is taken away, it doesn't matter how complicated your life is. You're still going to be in love with God, and you're going to follow God no matter what it takes. You with me on that? Turn your Bible to John chapter 4. Take my breath away. Is your breath taken away this morning by the Lord? John chapter 4 and verse 13. Right here we find Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. And, and let me tell you, that, that was complicated. That was complicated back in this generation. And we, we know that, number one, Jesus was a rabbi. And it was not permitted for rabbis to speak with women in public. In fact, women were so mistreated and so, uh, you know, just devalued in society that there is a famous Jewish quote that literally says this, better the words of the law be burned than given to a woman. And yet Jesus completely turned that upside down. Jesus spent time speaking with women, teaching women, elevating women. You with me on that? And so here he is talking to this woman, but she's not only a woman, she's a Samaritan. You go, well, what's a Samaritan? A Samaritan was a half-Jew, half-Gentile, uh, mainly a Assyrian Gentile. And so the Jews had an issue with the Gentiles, but it, worse than the Gentile is someone that is part Jew, part Gentile. I mean, you're not supposed to, as a Jew, associate with the Gentiles. But if you're half-Gentile, you could see the conflict there, the issue there. And so the Samaritans became outcasts to the Jewish culture. And so this was a complicated situation. But Jesus was a maverick. Jesus was a maverick. And here he is talking to this woman. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Sir, I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She completely misunderstood what Jesus was all about. And, you know, sometimes people can misunderstand what God's church is all about. Right? Oh, this is great. We have all kinds of different therapeutic programs in the church. Oh, this is great. We have lots of people that are going to give me lots of attention at church. Th that's not what God's church is about. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, yeah, okay, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, uh, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. You know when Jesus starts speaking like that, it's serious. Woman. That's how husbands speak when they're mad at their wives. Woman. This woman. Even Adam said that whenever Eve ticked them off. He goes, this woman you put here. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he's going to explain all of this to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Oh, can you imagine this moment? After this woman was just sharing with Jesus all her complications. It's complicated, Jesus. He goes, I know, go get your husband. Oh, about that, I, I don't really, I don't have a husband. Y you're right. Y you don't have a husband. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> you, you've had five. And the guy that you're shacking up with right now, th that's not your husband. <laughs> you know, this woman had a complicated life. That's complicated. You remember that? But she also had a complicated doctrine. You know, we know 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and what else? And your doctrine. Closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. You know, oftentimes people think it's enough just to have one or the other. That you can have the right doctrine, know all the right things, but just not do any of them. And that's still going to be okay. If you sincerely believe in the right things. If you sincerely hold to that conviction in your heart that those things are true. But you've got to have the right life along with the right doctrine. And the same thing is true the other way around. Some people think that as long as their life is on point, they can believe whatever the heck they want to believe. Right? That I can believe in salvation by this or salvation by that. And the Bible is very clear on what it takes and what it means to really be a disciple of Jesus. And the woman goes, well, you Jews say that you're supposed to worship over in Jerusalem. But my parents, my parents said we're supposed to worship here in Samaria. Jesus goes, woman. Woman, don't you know it's not going to be about where you worship? It's not going to be about your geographic location. It's going to be about how you worship with all your heart, in spirit, and in truth, life, and doctrine. You know, despite things being kind of complicated for her, look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
that their breath was taken away by the word of God, the word of Jesus. You know, I want to ask you this morning, has Christianity gotten complicated for you? It's so complicated, bro. It's so hard to be a Christian. We get all these church activities. I got my discipler calling me all the time, asking me where I'm, where I'm at, how I'm doing, what's going on in my life. Leave me alone, bro. You ever feel like that? I got kids. I got kids. Oh, no, it's too complicated to be a Christian now. Right? I, I'm towing around like 45 different little articles of, of things that are necessary for little children. Right? When you become a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't travel light anymore. You got to have the stroller, and then you got to have the car seat. The car seat snaps into the stroller, and you got to have the diaper bag. Then you got to have all the little cloths that they're going to burp up and spill up on. Then you got to have the formula with you just in case it needs a formula. You need to have all kinds of other things just in case there's issues. Then you got to have food with you in case they're hungry. Then you got to have toys with you in case they decide to get a little fidgety. Things get a little complicated as a parent. But you know what? Yeah, when you got twins, you just multiply that by times two. You know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If you're just taken away by, by God and, and left breathless by God, you can kind of just figure it out. You know, sometimes that's how we are when we study the Bible. We read a couple scriptures, and all of a sudden our minds start spinning. We start doing all the math. Oh, what is it going to mean for me to become a Christian? I'm going to have to tell this person. I'm going to have to change this. I'm going to have to do this in my schedule. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to give my, my finances to the church, and, and I'm going to have to orchestrate my budget. It gets complicated. But do you let the math discourage you as a Christian? Or are you just all about God? You know, one of the guys, uh, I, I'm just so grateful that he finally got here is, is Vincent. This is, this is Vincent's first Sunday service, and we're breaking him in right here, amen. You know, Vincent, Vincent, and I hope it's okay for me to share his story, but he, he, he was a disciple. He became a disciple back in 2015. Sadly, there were some complicated things that happened. And over time, his, his heart got really hard and towards some people that had sinned against him. And so consequently, he was uh, not just that he fell away, but he was actually kicked out of church. Because of his, his heart, he wanted to be a disciple, and the people that he was around didn't want to change. But, but their, their unspiritual attitude and, and behavior towards him embittered him towards them. And he got an attitude at them. Well, he walked away. But then, you know, being a Christian became really complicated. Because he didn't have the church. He was all by himself. He wanted to be a Christian, but didn't know where to go and didn't know how to be Christian, especially by himself. To add to that, he found out that his good buddy, Ghislaine, moved to Toronto. And him and Ghislaine were on the phone, and they started talking about, hey, Vincent, you got to get back. you got to get right with God. you got to do all these things. But, but nobody's there to help you. you got to move to Toronto. I appreciate Shima sh uh, sharing about this earlier. It was a complicated situation. He's living in Montreal. He's got a full-time job. He's got an apartment or a house that he's been renting, and it was really cheap. Because he's had it for a long time. And you all know how the rents are here in Toronto. It was complicated. But at the end of the day, he came out to church last summer. And he was blown away by church. He goes, man, i got to get to a group like this. i got to surround myself with disciples to help me. He was taking his breath away. And he goes, i got to move to Toronto. Then he even got things more complicated. He moved in with the brother's household. You know, things get complicated. When you go from living on your own in a nice-sized little apartment building to a, a, a house, a small, actually, it's not even a whole house, a floor that you're renting out with six other brothers. You remember on that? But that's the point. You know, we got together. On Thursday night, and we talked about what it would take for him to get restored. And I shared Revelation 2.4, where the Bible defines falling away as forsaking your first love. And that's exactly what happens. We stop loving God. We, we lose that, that 
breathlessness. We lose that sense of awe in God. Our breath stops being taken away. And then Christianity becomes burdensome. It becomes too hard, too discouraging, too complicated. We've got to get back to having our breath taken away. Let's go to our second point. Hit it, Nero. Come on, bro. Bro, turn that up, bro. Let's turn that up. Yeah. You got to wait for it. My way to the danger zone. My way to the danger zone. My second point. Highway to the Danger Zone. This song was sung by Kenny Loggins. And uh, really, the, this is one of the songs that's played at least like 78 times in the first movie. Over and over this song is played, but it so represents the movie in such a great way. And in particular, there, there's one moment in the first movie, and if you haven't seen the first movie, you got to go back and watch it. you got to repent, Amen. And uh, there's a, this, this moment in the first movie where his, his best friend, his wingman, uh, they, they, they get into a, a situation with their plane. Their plane starts to go down. They try to eject. His wingman hits his head on the canopy and ends up being killed in midair. And so they parachute down, but he's already dead by the time he hits the water. And, and this, this is just completely crushing for Maverick because he's lost his best friend, and in many ways, he feels like he's partially at fault. And so consequently, what happens is, is this guy that was once reckless, that was just full of confidence, now starts to second-guess himself and doubt himself. And so when he's flying, he can't do what he used to do because he's full of fear. And so there's this point where he kind of realizes that he's lost his, quote, edge. And he needs to get his edge back. He needs to get his confidence back. And he needs to go into highway to the danger zone. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, not only do I think we got to be blown away by God, let God take our breath away, but I think that we've got to embrace a dangerous life as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Here's, here's Paul's life. And Paul was a maverick. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. In fact, you can read about that in Acts. He actually thought was dead, and he gets back up, and he goes back and preaches in the city. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. Jews, Gentiles, that's basically everyone. In danger in the city, in danger in the country. There's city and there's country that's everywhere. In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. You know, Paul right here lived a, a dangerous life. I, I appreciate what it says right here. I was in danger from rivers. I was in danger from bandits. I was in danger from the country. I was in danger in the city. I mean, he just lived dangerously. You know, there was no place. There was nowhere, no one that Paul could be around that he didn't feel a sense of danger. 
You know, I think for us, we, we live in a very safe society. And, and we're thankful for that as Christians. Many of us will, will not face the type of persecution that a lot of people face in, in some places in the world. I remember being in India, and the preacher there goes, hey, how many guys have been beat up for your faith? And almost everybody in the whole room raised their, their hand. There are places where it's hard to be a Christian. But, but sadly, I think that the fact that Canada is safe is the danger. It's a different kind of danger. Because it convinces us that as disciples, that you can be faithful without living dangerously without rocking the boat, without being a maverick, without being uncomfortable. You know, I'll never forget, in my hometown, I had a very small uh, city that I grew up in, and uh, there wasn't really much to do in my hometown, and uh, what was there was that there was this little zoo, and this was not like the Toronto Zoo. I mean, I think the Toronto Zoo it just is awesome. I've heard some people say that it's not that great. Well, that's because you don't have what I had to compare it to. And my zoo had, like, you know, exhibits of cats and dogs. You know, like, that's, that's the level we're talking right here. Like, if you saw a bird that was like a parrot or something like that, you're like, wow, this is an exotic animal. This is incredible. And uh, I, I remember there was a, kind of a big to-do in our small little town because they were bringing in this white tiger, right? <laughs> this white Siberian tiger or something like that. And I'm like, this is awesome. And they brought this tiger in, and, and they had this whole, like, exhibit that they made for this big old tiger. And they, they brought it in, and I wanted to go check it out. And so I went to the zoo to check out this tiger. And I, I'll never forget, I, I went right when it was about to be feeding time. And they announced it on the loudspeaker, if you want to see the tiger eat, come to this section of the zoo. So I was like, oh, baby. I mean, don't you want to see, like, a tiger just, like, take something out? I mean, just, just just being savage. Like, that's what we really want to see at the zoo, right? They, they kind of mess it up because they domesticate them and they make them so tame that you don't get to see that them, like, mauling something else, right? But that's really what all us guys, at least, want to see at the zoo. You want to see an animal maul something. Let's be real, right? Adora wants to see it, too. Let's be honored with our inner selves that really want to see animals maul things. Well, well, I went, and uh, I was looking, and I was watching them prepare the food for the, the tiger. Now, much to my disappointment, it wasn't alive. It was already dead, and it was whole chickens that were raw chickens, right? And so what they do is they'd prepare them, and then they just throw them in there, and the tiger would eat the whole chicken and crush all the bones and things like that. I go, okay, cool. They're going to they're gonna throw these to the tiger, and I'll at least see the tiger eat these chickens. Well, I walked around, and I, I, you know how some of the exhibits are quite big? And so I walked around, and I had to try to find where the tiger was at. So I walked around the exhibit, finally found where the tiger was at. And, you know, I get sense that he was getting a little hungry because it was around feeding time. And uh, he was laying down. And then they, they called. They had, a, like, a little calling for the tiger to come and get his food. I, I kid you not, as he was walking to get his chicken to eat, there were chickens, live chickens, inside of his cage that he literally walked right by. I mean, he eats chickens. He eats chickens. And I saw him walking towards the chicken, and I got a little excited. Because I was like, he's going to chase a live chicken, and I'm going to see him maul something. He walks right by it. The chicken wasn't even scared of the tiger. It was just like, yeah, I got nothing to worry about. And I thought, wow, this tiger has gotten so accustomed to zoo life, that he doesn't even recognize what his food is supposed to look like. He can't even catch his own chickens. And sadly, I think that can be true for us who live in the first world as Christians. We can get so domesticated, so to speak, so comfortable that you don't even remember what it's like to be radical. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I like 
insults. I like hardship. Are you crazy? How many of you guys woke up this morning and prayed for God to send you some hardship? Josh is a maverick. He's like, give me some hardship. Train me. Teach me. He goes, I, I like being persecuted. I like it. Why, why? Not because it's easy. Because it forces me to depend and rely on my God. You, you see, a lot of us, we don't want to be uncomfortable because that would force us to go to the source of comfort. That would force us to go to God and get our comfort from God. We want to create our own comfort and not have to go to the comforter. You know, I'm so grateful for the women in our church. And I, I thought they did a phenomenal job with Women's Day. A phenomenal job with Women's Day. In fact, the 30, 35 women in the Toronto church had 93 in attendance at Women's Day. Is that awesome right there? And uh, I was particularly encouraged, not, not by how smooth things went, but by how the women handled hardship. And in particular, I want to lift up my wife. <laughs> they had been preparing for Women's Day for months. They had been working hard on Women's Day for months. My wife has been communicating with the facility people and getting it all locked down for months. Shows up, nobody's there to open the door. Ten minutes goes by. Twenty minutes goes by. Half an hour goes by. One hour. An hour and a half. Now, mind you, they've got women that have paid to be there coming. The doors are not open. But I appreciate their hearts. They didn't freak out. Kelly got them together. Guys, guys this is perfect. Because we need, we need God to work a miracle here. The women were fired up. In fact, they started to, to climb around the, the barrier. And uh, I now know that when it comes down to it, our sisters will get gangster on you. Amen. Some of y'all were reaching back to your past as non-Christians. And you're taking your non-Christian criminal selves into your modern-day Christian selves. And you were godly gangsters. Amen. But they were, they were actually hoping that the alarms would sound and they would get caught so that somebody would actually open the door. But, but, then, but then it gets even better because we found out that the whole thing was Margie's fault. Yeah, I got to throw it out there. I got to throw it out there. All of your testing, all of your hardship, all of the burden, all of the anxiety that you may have felt was Margie's fault. You go, well, how could it have been Margie's fault? Well, what happened is... Kelly was sharing with Margie that she was trying to stick within the budget that they had created for Women's Day, and she was trying to get a facility for $500. But the facility costs were ending up being like between seven dollars and $800. And Margie goes, okay, I'm going to pray for us to get it for $500. Well, because they messed up on that day, they came back and refunded us part of the money, and so now the facility cost was exactly $500. So you all can say thank you to Margie. Say thank you to Margie. But, but that's what it means to be on the danger zone. You, you got you to gotta put yourself in a situation where you need God. You got to be uncomfortable so that the only choice for you is to seek comfort from God. And so this morning, you got to choose to go down the highway. To the danger zone. Let's go to our third point. Come on, Nero. This is from Top Gun 2. Hey, this is more your speed, young people. This is sung by One Republic. The song is called, I Ain't Worried. I ain't worried about it. 
And again, this comes from the second movie, the 2022 Top Gun movie. And it's at a, it's at a very crucial point because Maverick has been called back to lead a group of other naval aviators, younger naval, younger naval aviators, to fly a very dangerous mission to the point where the military is not sure that a lot of these pilots would ever come home. And so he's tasked with uh, training them. He's tasked with getting them ready for this mission. And more than that, he's got it heavy on his heart to bring them home safely. And so here he is in this, this middle of this, this training where he's got this young group of, of cocky, confident guys. And he's, he's really wrestling with his dynamic with them and the fact that they're not really gelling like a team. And on top of that, one of the guys that's in his group is the son of his former wingman that was killed. And so he's got a resentment towards Maverick, and so Maverick is trying to work that relationship. And all these things, because of the, the heaviness of the situation and the heaviness of the moment, was weighing him down. But then Maverick gets some advice from an old friend, and his old friend encourages him, you just got to let go. And so he takes this group of, of pilots to the beach, and he has them play what they call dogfight football, where you play football offense and defense both at the same time with two footballs. And really, it's a great time in the movie where they, they come together as a team. They stop worrying about the heaviness of their situation. And they just have a moment where they're just having fun on the beach. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In verse 40. At the very least, I know a lot of you guys can go watch this movie later. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, we find right here that Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And he says, with many of the words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine? 3,000 people added to their number. They, who's the they? All of the original 120 and the additional 3,000 disciples. There was no difference in devotion. There was no difference in their level of commitment. Every single person that was there in that church was a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Their breath was taken away. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and that everything in common, they were a team. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and what? Enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't it funny how a lot of times before someone becomes a Christian, their, their fear is that Christianity will be so miserable. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've got to get devoted to the scriptures. I've got to be devoted to the fellowship and all the meetings of the body. I've got to be devoted to communion. I've got to be devoted to prayer. I mean, that sounds rough. I'm going to be miserable if I devote myself to all those things. But in truth, it's actually the opposite. That when you devote yourself to these things, there's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more refreshing because repentance is refreshing. You know, but at the same time, I think that as Christians, we can forget how to have fun in our Christian life. Sometimes the heaviness of God's calling and the reality of the world and where it's at can weigh on us. And we forget to enjoy. Enjoy. The favor of all the people. Turn to second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. You guys enjoying yourself as Christians? I, I enjoy my life. You with me on that? And that doesn't mean there's not hardship. That doesn't mean that things are not difficult. But when you have God in your life, you really have everything that you need. And check this out in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Right here, Paul is he's teaching Timothy to become a maverick. And in verse 17, he says, Timothy, you got to command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our misery. Some of y'all think that God just wants you to be miserable. Let's be real. Like, oh, God hasn't given me a boyfriend. God hasn't given me a, a girlfriend. I don't have a great job. I can't even tie my tie straight. God hates me. Dude, you've been given an awesome life as a disciple. And it doesn't mean that it's without hardship, as I said. It doesn't mean that it's not a dangerous life. It doesn't mean that it's going to be challenge-free or hardship-free. But even those things are good. God is training you. He's teaching you. He's trying to get you to a place where you're doing better spiritually than you were before. And that way you can enjoy being a Christian. You enjoying yourself? You know, these guys right here in the church were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to the fellowship. But sometimes we forget they were equally devoted to being together and having fun. You know, sometimes, so some of us, we have a hard time having fun. You know how I know? You don't show up to the fun events. Like, oh, what are we doing? Oh, women's basketball? Oh, I can miss that. I got more serious things to do. No, you got to be devoted to enjoying the family that God has given us. Yeah, I gotta throw my wife under the bus. Yesterday, yesterday I woke up and I was I had on my schedule a deep time with Will and Rich. And so I said, hey guys, why don't we why don't we meet up and we'll go get some breakfast? You know, we've had this Zoom thing going on for too long for D time and things like that. Let's go get some breakfast, let's hang out together. Well, they made their way to my house, and as they arrived, my wife said, Hey, wait, you're, you're taking the car? I go, uh, yeah, you didn't tell me you needed the car. She goes, well, I have an appointment with Adriana. I go, oh, I'm sorry, babe, but you didn't tell me that you had an appointment with Adriana. She goes, oh, my gosh, we got to figure this out. I, I can't cancel it, Adriana. So I go in the room, and she's calling Adriana. They're trying to work it all out. And as they're talking on the phone, I overhear that their plan <laughs> this, this is what the conflict was. Their plan was that they were going to go to the top of Downsview Hill, the highest point in Toronto. They were going to scream at the top of their lungs. This is like a well-thought-out plan. And then they were going to roll down the side of the hill. I was trying to search the scriptures, like where. <laughs> this is a new teaching. I've never seen this form of discipling before. But I, I appreciate my wife's devotion to fun. She was going to cancel my deed time so she could have some fun with Adriana. You know, it's funny, later on, like four hours later, we're the longest eat time of our lives in breakfast. She comes back to pick us up. And <laughs> she picks us up. My wife and my two kids that went with them are all like, oh, I don't feel good. <laughs> they had rolled so much that they got dizzy and got themselves all sick. And that took them all out for the rest of the Saturday. You know, I, I genuinely... I genuinely want to ask you, how much do you just enjoy being a Christian? I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying that there are not danger zones. But if you're not enjoying being a Christian, you're not doing it right. You know, um, <laughs> this last month, we, we've gone through a big change in the church. And I, I, I don't think I really realized the level of fear that Canadians can have of change. You know, I, I, Gidget, I think that to some degree, you would think that our church was splitting and never going to see each other again. Because we were creating two regions. I mean, there really was that level of, like, anxiety and fear 
over creating a new region. It really is something that should be so exciting. Something we should enjoy, but, but we get all caught up in the drama. Instead of going, wow, we, we have such an awesome life. We've got to choose not to be worried. That's the title of that song. I ain't worried. I ain't worried. You worried? I ain't worried. Y'all worried about tomorrow? I ain't worried. You just got to seek first the kingdom. That's the only thing you got to worry about. God's going to take care of all the rest. You with me on that? All right, let's go to our last point. Let's go to our last song. This is Lady Gaga. Don't recommend her other music, but. It's a good song. The title of that song is Hold My Hand. Hold My Hand. And this song is uh, the, the really the, the kind of the theme song for the new Top Gun movie. And it's, it's produced by Lady Gaga, and, and again, I don't recommend her other music, but anyway. It really only kicks in in the movie at the very end. And I don't want to spoil too much of the movie for you, but I promise you there's almost no way that you could spoil the movie. But in the end, after everything that Maverick has been through, after all of his doubts, he finds himself in an airplane hangar building an airplane with all the people he loves most. And it's really a, an amazing time because you get a sense that he's finished. He's finally decided to retire from being a pilot and move on to the next stage of, at that point, his life. And all the ups and downs and all those things are, are recorded on a wall of pictures he has right there in the hangar. In fact, Goose's son, his old wingman's son is there with him, and he adds a picture to the wall right at the end. And I thought about that, and I, I thought about the scripture right here in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 6. And this will be our last scripture. Here we find Paul, a fellow maverick, finished with all of his work. And he says this in verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. In fact, this is written in the latter part of 66 AD. And we know that historically Paul died in the early part of 67 AD. Beheaded in Rome. He goes, I have fought the good fight. Verse 7. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he's loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I said, Tychicus to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus to Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments, which were what Paul used. To write so much of the New Testament. But you know, here as uh, Paul is, is, is sensing that his time is coming to a close. Like Maverick, he's sitting not in an airplane hangar, but, but in a prison cell. With all those that he loves so much. Especially Luke, the doctor. Which you can understand if you were Paul, how you would really fall in love with a doctor. 
And I would be willing to bet that like Maverick, who had all these memories plastered on his wall, not of all the difficult times, not of all the hard times, not of all the tragedy that he experienced, but all the great things, the great moments in his life. I'd be willing to bet that Paul, as he was sitting there with his close friends, was reminiscing about all those memories. You see, the hard ones don't stick. It's the good ones that stick with us, especially when you're about to leave this life and go into the next. You know, here in Toronto, we've got some, some big goals, some lofty goals. You with me on that? As a church, we have a desire to evangelize not only our city, but our entire nation. We only have about 65 people in the church. We've got a nation of almost 40 million people. Let's just say there's some work to be done. Earlier this year, we set out to raise $100,000 for missions contribution. We knocked that goal out of the park. You with me on that? Earlier this year, we decided that we were at some point going to create a second region in the church. We got that one done. We, we had a goal of bringing a ministry couple to Toronto. We got the Hamulas. You with me on that? We wanted to see at least 50 people baptized into Christ. Well, we've got 16 down and 34 more to go. Amen. But I think we've got to ask ourselves right now at this moment, what do we need to have as a church to get it all done? I, I don't think that we've got to be a perfect church. I don't think we've got to be a church that, that doesn't go through hardship or doesn't go through hard times. But I do believe that we've got to be a resilient church. We've got to be a church that, that faces the danger zone and accepts it and understands that we've got to rely and depend on God. And therefore, God is the one who will hold our hand and get us all the way there. In fact, one of the lyrics to the song says these words. To tell me you need me, I see that you're bleeding. You don't need to show me again, but if you decide to, I'll ride in this life with you. I won't let you go till you do. You see, I believe that's God's heart for you as an individual, and I believe that that's God's heart for our church, that God wants to hold your hand so that you can be victorious in your own personal walk with God. But I believe that God as a church wants to hold our hands so that we as a church can accomplish all that we've set out to do for the Lord. And so this morning I ask you, do you want to be a maverick? Do you want to be someone that stands out in this world, a maniac, a dissenter, unorthodox, unconventional, a nonconformist? Then you've got to choose to let God take your breath away. You've got to choose to embrace the highway to the danger zone. You're going to choose to not let all the heaviness, all the burden of Christianity rob you of your Christian joy. And you've got to choose to always hold the hand of God. And to God be all the glory. <laughs>